the magic book came out in October 2020, and we've been to one con. <laughs> yeah, in, in, in a, Los Angeles in during a, in, the, in, a, in a year and a half. In a year and a half. Haven't oh, yeah, been able to go out and, and talk up the book. Mm-mm. So, so did yeah. you guys to go to uh, LA Comic Con or? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was in that weird dip where uh, yeah, things uh, were at bay. Del- Delta was... Delta had gone down, and Omicron hadn't surged yet, and so it felt like it could be the beginning of a, an opening. And so we all went, and the con was reasonably busy, not crazed. That was uh, that was December, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So that was it. Actually, was a good. It was a perfect time, and people seemed to have a year and a half worth of interest. And, oh yeah. You know, this lot sold a lot of books, and people were really, you know, ready to to load up on swag. That's awesome. Yeah, I was so I had uh, I, I I did media for the one in 2019, and then did what? one in 2020. So then they were like 2021. They were like, hey, yeah, we're gonna have you know, uh, do you want to come do media for it? And I was like, I would love to, but I don't know about flying to LA, you know, because like there was the talk of everything. It was like you know, it's still not down yet. Plus, I'm in Oklahoma, and they don't care at all. So. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, it was tough. And that, that was the only reason I didn't go. And I regret not going because like, I've met a lot of people since then that went like you guys. And like, it would have been really cool to meet you guys in person. Um, a couple uh-huh. other uh, comic authors that um, I, I know now that we're going to do, be doing episodes for. And it was just like, oh, we could have met there. We could have done stuff face to face. And Yeah. Well, we were able to get double vaxxed and boosted with our masks in our own car. We were in our own bubble, drive down there and drive back. So it was it was as self-contained as we could be. People there at the con, to their credit, uh, wore masks, you know, showed their vaccination. So that one con, that one time for us, did not require any travel, significant travel, you know, which, yeah. yeah it was cool. What's up, fandom? My name is Josh, and today I've got two very special guests. Um, I've got Eric and Julia Luwal. Lu- wow, Luwal. There's no, there's no reason to know it otherwise. But it has been. Has it, 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 been uh, Luwal. 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 It has been a day and a half. <laughs> I I got like zero sleep last night, so I'm oh. I'm chugging a coffee at you know six in the afternoon or evening, and I am. It's a it's a thing. We have Eric and Julia, 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 see, I can't even say Julia. I'm sorry, Julia. I apologize. Uh, we've got Eric and Julia Leewald. Woo! Se- seven hours later, we finally got it, but we got it. Um, and uh, first off, guys, I want to thank you both uh, so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting us. We yeah. appreciate it. Appreciate it, Josh. We'd really love to talk about this show. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And... Um, the other thing is I want to go ahead and uh, plug uh, Harold Stories episode with you guys over at Tunes Tunes. Tune Tunes. T-O-O-T-U-N-E-S slash T-O-O-N-S. Tunes Tunes. Um, definitely check them out. Um, Harold did a phenomenal job uh, with his interview. I'm, I'm going to try not to, you know, do the exact same interview. So mm-hmm. hopefully it goes a little bit better, but definitely check out Harold's episode. He's going to go a lot more um in depth with you guys um just because he got you first so <laughs> he got you first I, mean, I can't i can't do much um but first off uh just for some of our listeners who maybe they haven't listened to that episode yet um can you tell us a little bit about yourselves 
I'm Julia Leewald, a TV animation writer, a live action writer as well. And I was about to say, don't don't discredit young Hercules. Oh, thank that you was, very much. We've got was, young Ryan's yeah. elbow there. There he is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, at the time, back when things were getting going on good old X-Men animated series, I'm a writer on X-Men the animated series, specific episodes. Got to do uh, part one of Days of Future Past in the first season. Got to do the storm-centric one, whatever it takes. Got to pitch some story. Oh, okay, there we go. I think, I think Days of Future Past. I think that's up there. It, it's it's up there somewhere. <laughs> and uh, so it got to be a fly on the wall for the whole five years because Eric Leewald was the guy in charge of the writing. Right, supervising the herding the cats, the, <laughs> the 20 different writers that ended up writing on the series over mm-hmm. the five years. So I got to write occasionally when things didn't work or when someone was late or fixing things. But uh, mostly I just was coming up with stories and taking in all the notes from the various, you know, Marvel had opinions, Fox had opinions. I want to jump in and just clarify, though, you were the person who was brought in to develop the show. Oh, yeah. To to set it to set it up, set Mm -hmm. the whole thing up at the beginning and to come up with the stories and 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 basically guide the project from beginning to end but what that means is if you're putting in 60 70 hours a week making sure that the show's on track and that all of this season's episodes kind of fit together and go smoothly uh that means that you're spending a lot of time talking on the phone and fixing and (laughs) and being political and making sure one person's notes don't dump on another person's notes and making it all hold together. So there's a lot of management in it. And the, the nice, easy parts were the writing parts. The, the the harder parts were the administrative parts. And and like with a with a magazine or uh, a newspaper, you know, making sure that the, the, the deadlines were hit, you know, every Friday or whatever, uh, a script was final and handed the, to the artist to, for the storyboard. Because, you know, if, if we didn't, if, if we were late, there are dozens and dozens of people waiting down the lot, down the assembly line to get the material. And then they'd all be sitting on their hands and, you know, nothing to do. So we really, we really had to keep those tight schedules. It was, it was a pretty big deal. Um, so with something like X-Men, the animated series, how, like, how difficult is that? Cause I mean, you guys also did mummies alive. So that was, and that another one that's a Harold tackles mummies alive fantastic and again that that was one of those like i have i have a friend charlie um my best friend and i when i was telling her i was like hey yeah i get to do you know uh uh meet these two they're gonna they're gonna come on the podcast they did uh uh x-men the animated series which she loves x-men and she was like oh that's awesome i was like yeah and they did mummies alive and she was like wait they did mummies alive and I was like, yeah, they did Mummies Alive. Everybody, I, I don't know anybody who's not seen Mummies Alive that doesn't absolutely love it. Great, because we don't hear that as much. I mean, obviously, X-Men's where we usually go to cons for, but uh, the people we meet, I mean, that's that's nice to hear. It is, very nice to because hear. Because that was, that, was that was a fun show. We we, we based, were running it together. Right. And there was a wonderful young guy, like 23 years old, <laughs> artist that designed the whole thing. And yeah, amazing. Seth, Seth Kearsley. Who's still who's still doing that kind of work today, but was just awesome. had all kinds of great design. Oh, Eric, can you grab the mama? Oh. We we have some oh. of the stuff. Oh, maybe I have it up here. 
Well, we some of the toys. We had just, some of the toys. Just, you know, we, you know, we, we got we got a lot we got a lot of the toys because the toys were really nice design for that show. But. And KB's toys was a place you could go shop for them. Uh, back good old KB <laughs> toys back in the day. Good old KB yeah. toys. Yep. Yeah, yep. And one, one of the nice things about that one too is since it didn't pre-exist like the X-Men, we pretty much had said just look, do something with mummies in it. That was about the extent of of the direction we got or the background we had for the show. So what we came up with, along with my dear friends, Mark and Michael Edens, mm -hmm. who had who had credits on half the X-Men episodes, episodes yeah. and Exa Squad, all these other things we did, friends of mine from college, you know, they helped develop it. Uh, it was, you know, it was something, it, it ended up being a fun thing that we wanted to do. Um, it was a little younger than the next men, which is fine, which, and I think we would have written it a little older, but just a little tidbit for the people in the background, there was a weird partnership. We did it for Deke Entertainment, mm -hmm. but that was just kind of, there's a production house. They didn't care one or another. They're looking for money for people to, to support this. And they got half the money from uh, Ivan Reitman's company, uh, Northern, Northern Lights, Light. which is a very, which is a more sophisticated, you know, R-rated movie kind of company. And they got half the money from romp, uh, Romper Room Lady. I mean, a woman that was in, uh, I don't, whose name escapes oh, me. That's but, fine. <laughs> but, but her company distributed Romper Room nationwide. So you can imagine each of those two people putting whatever couple million dollars into the project had very different expectations of what the show should be. Yeah. And so there was a certain amount of that one, there's a certain amount of friction as we were developing it and we were getting scripts out saying, is it going to be, is it going to be Ghostbusters or is it going to be Romper Room? And yeah. we were very much pushing for Ghostbusters and the feel that we got it 80% there. Uh, and that was, that was, you know, each project has its own challenges, but that one was a really odd coupling of, of benefactors. So, so what you're saying is we need to get the, we need to do a Kickstarter so we can get the, uh, the more adult right. Mummies Alive reboot. Who, who owns, who owns Mummies Alive? That's an excellent question. Yeah, I, uh, can I buy that? Like, can I buy Mummies Alive? Maybe. I mean, if yeah, I could might, buy it, know, that would, I'd do it. At $20 out. Because Zeke <laughs> went out of business. They sold That's almost true. all their resources to a big Canadian company called Cookie Jar. They went out of business. They That's were right. bought by a larger Canadian company. You know, That's a good question. if you dug through it, there, it may it may be sitting, get, you know, collecting dust somewhere. Well, it is collecting dust somewhere, uh, wherever you know, the, it is. The rights to it, and if somebody wanted to to do some new work with it, they'd probably get a heck of a deal. You know, I would love to do that. Like, if if <laughs> I could get mummies alive for a decent price, I would love to resource that out. I would love a mummies alive just because. Uh, we're going to talk about X-Men, I swear. Uh, <laughs> like, for Mummy's Love, just the way that everybody was drawn, and like, the, the character design was so cool, it will yeah. look really good in comics. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. it would look phenomenal. Especially, you know, if we do, like, more of, like, a kind of like an Invincible-style comic where it's a little bit more, it's older. I mean, it's still a comic, but I mean, it's, you know, it's older. So we've got, you know, we can do some stuff. We can have some, you know, uh, Nefertina, you know, like put a hand through somebody, you know, like up to those, that would be pretty dope. Yeah. Okay. Well, One so of the challenges uh, with the yin and the yang of the different sources at work on Mummies Alive was kids aren't going to understand all this oh. Egyptian talk. And it's like, well, uh, yeah, 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 they will. They will. Leave uh, us. 
Well, they just have, have you not heard about this like Star Wars movie where they, <laughs> they get it. they've got they their own it. world made up and all their language made up? Yeah, and so. that did that didn't frustrate five-year-olds. They 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 stayed with the story somehow. But those were the kind of weird notes we were getting from the yeah. younger side of the notes, like, oh, not so many big Egyptian words, please. Yeah. So yeah, it would have been it. it would have been more Egyptian. <laughs> oh yeah. We we'll make that happen. I'll look into it. We'll find it. Okay, there you uh, go. Well, it, it's it's like when you say that, it's like, yeah, but have they not heard kids with dinosaurs? Kids learn all these ridiculous Latin names for all these they dinosaurs. They love, they love those kind of challenges. Yeah, it's, I don't know. And that's that's this thing that, you know, I see, we're slowly starting to break away from that in animation, where back in the day it was like, kids are dumb. So you <laughs> have to make everything, you know, kind of, you know, easy for the kids. But I was like, yeah, no, kids kids aren't, kids can comprehend complex scenarios like they they don't want just you know fart jokes and everything like that i mean fart jokes and or you know they're great but you know kids want story and yeah so i i don't know it, it feels like when especially when i was growing up like that's why i kind of gravitated more towards stuff like that um because i was like yeah i want actual story i don't want you know like cat dog and just like you know stupid humor i want you know good something something good um speaking of something good that's a segue. Um, X Men the animated series. Um, so, what was it like developing something that's ba it's only been in comic form into this animated series? Yeah, thirty thirty years of comic books. It was the number one comic book at that time. We're talking very early nineteen nineties. The internet didn't exist, and there were no twenty four hour comic book stores. Well, well, yeah, we'll, we'll just yeah. We'll, we'll <laughs> digging through and finding out what they've done before was important oh, so yeah. that we respected it. But, you know, your question I, sounds like is really about the changing the, the changing form from writing for comics to writing for TV. And it is really different. I have no, no particular confidence that even after doing 30 years of animated shows and hundreds of, of episodes, writing hundreds of episodes, that I could necessarily write a good comic book because, you know, thinking that way, thinking on the page, and all of the internal dialogue and just the way you progress across the page and choreograph the action and let it build on the panels. I mean, it's obviously evolving in comics itself, but is very different from screen. I mean, it's, it's like a lot of, you know, great uh, novelists can't, don't, don't make the adjustment to screenplay writing. It's just a different way of, thinking about what the characters are doing and telling the story. So the way we thought about it was, I don't know if there's lucky or just happened to be the case, the artists on the show all were big crazed X-Men fans. So they knew exactly what the world was and what it looked like and what it felt like. But most of the, at least half the writers including myself and the, my head writer, Mark Edens, we really didn't, we weren't big comic book people. We were we were TV and movie and storytelling people. So our first instincts in telling these stories was staring at the comic books and, and the characters and using that as reference, but thinking them in terms of telling TV stories mm -hmm. rather than telling comic book stories. So we started comfortably in a TV storytelling mode. We didn't have to adjust ourselves after years and years of writing comic books. We'd never written a comic book. So we didn't have to make that adjustment. Um, the people at Marvel that were watching what we were writing 
probably some of them say, what the hell are they doing? That isn't the way we tell stories. You know, with the first year before the show came out, when they're just reading scripts, which are very different to read, or start looking at storyboards, which it's weird, odd, because it's kind of like comics, because it's, it's, it's drawings with words around them, but it's, it progresses in a different way. It flows in a different way. It, it just, it reads in a different way. So it must've been odd for them until the show came out for them to see, you know, what the hell are they doing with our comic book? They probably were saying that to themselves. But um, yeah, I think we were just, we didn't have that leap to make. Most of the writers didn't because we weren't, we weren't lifelong veteran comic book writers. We were lifelong veteran TV writers. So the TV part was the easy part. Finding a set of comic books that were full of really deep characters with really human problems, that is usually the problem. And here, you know, X-Men <laughs> had all that in spades. So that was really a gift. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that's how uh, we were able to make the adjustments smoothly because we were thinking as TV movie people, not as comics people. And 1992, February, it is, it is officially 30 years ago yeah. this last month when you oh, got the call and went for the very first meeting. This was in Los Angeles. Marvel's main headquarters at that time was in New York and that was the hub of it there with the comic book side of it. The way the monies came together to make the X-Men animated series, surprisingly, Marvel did not have final say on the series, which you look now at the kind of controls in place. You didn't have to answer to Marvel. There was, there was a great guy at Marvel. Yeah, Bob, Har Bob Harris, who, who was in charge of all the X titles. There was three, <laughs> three or four books going at the time. Mm -hmm. And he was a guy, senior editor in charge of all of them. And he was our source, uh, creative source of material. There was another executive there too, Joe Calamari, great guy, uh, who just was kind of overlooking everything from kind of get more from a kind of right. business professional standpoint. But Bob was there to answer all our questions. Um, would Wolverine have this reaction to Shadow King? You know, uh, I don't know. I haven't read the 11 and a half issues where the two interacted, but Bob, does this feel right or do I need to rethink this, you know, this scene here? And so he was our source. Um, based uh, in New York. Based in New York. But at the same time, he had all those, he had 70, 80 hours a week of work to do. He didn't have time to agonize over, uh, you know, the details of, of our stories. It was just, okay, that, that looks close. Go, go, go. I mean, he just, he, he'd red flag and he'd give, he'd give notes, really important notes when he saw something wasn't right. But it's not like he was able to take half his time and dedicated to the show. They didn't. They were drifting down towards a bankruptcy in the mid '90s. Uh, they didn't have a lot of extra staff to oversee this. They just were, I think, happy to have somebody to get to be getting a fee from some TV place in Hollywood and have one of their properties on the air and just were kind of had their fingers crossed that we didn't screw it up. Um, what were some of the um, challenges of, you know, creating this? Like, like you said, you know, you're having to, you know, contact Bob and everything. Was there any, was, did you ever guy, guys get, ever get any pushback? You're allowed to talk about it. If we can't, we can cut this. Uh, any specific like plot lines that you guys wanted to go that they were like, no, anything that they made you, you know, insert? Yeah. What well, was, again, going way back, 1992, and I got to be a writer in the first season. 
we were all of us at that time told 13 episodes, this is going to crash and burn, but you're getting to do 13 episodes, Eric, with Mark Eden. So figure out which strong 13 episodes you want to do. But don't expect a pickup because we know this isn't going to work. But all credit to Margaret Lesh, the woman who was the president of Fox Kids, who had been at Marvel Studios out here in Los Angeles, who had complete faith in this better job on it, and her right-hand man, Sidney Iwaner. They pushed you and you pushed us, tell the biggest, best stories you can for these 13. But don't expect to go further. So uh, at the, when we finished our work, we were all let go. You know, and that's how you ended up on, a, on different shows and things, waiting to hear how the show was received. At the end of episode 13, we see uh, uh, Gene and Scott, you know, having a lovely little picnic together on the beach, thinking, oh, this is going to, on a shoreline somewhere, this is going to be happy sailing for them. And then when you got the call that we're coming back to do another 13, came in with the idea to overlay Mr. Sinister as, ooh, this is going to be creepy how they're going to, you know, this season two is going to get weird with bad guys. But that was only after we'd been been told that we were going to have a season two. Right. There's a, it takes four or five months to animate the things and to, yeah. to, to cut them together. So there was time after we were done writing, after we were laid off, after we were working on other shows mm-hmm. to come back and make an adjustment on that last show before it, before it aired. So the idea of, of Storm and of Storm, sorry, of, of Gene and Scott marrying, as they do in the opening of yeah. season two, we had set up to, to do that. We had, we had set up to do that. We for season two when they asked us to come up with a Keep going. Yeah, when well, they asked us. Oh <laughs> oh oh. Well, so when they when they asked us to come up with. 13 episodes for season two, Mark and I said, okay, it'd be cool if Gene and Scott, you know, we'd set them up, they had a proposal. If they were married and she was pregnant and she had a kid on the way and she was fighting around in spandex and her baby bump and everybody, not just Marvel, (laughs) but Fox, everybody said, look, we're not sure if 11 year olds are ready for a seven month pregnant Gene to be running around banging uh, with, uh, bad guys. So, so that was a little thing we held back on, but to answer your question, uh, yeah, before the show came out in, in the first season, when we were just coming up with what we had hoped to do with the show, there were a couple, three people at Marvel, not Bob, but there were a couple, three people at Marvel that pushed back and that had other ideas about the way the show should go. And so there, since we hadn't proved ourselves and nobody had watched it yet, it wasn't a hit yet. It was just our word of what we think would be su- successful versus their word, and they were working at Marvel. Well, you know, what do you do? You know, you you say, no, we don't want to change the show all around because you don't get our version of it. We're, we're sticking with it. And, you know, push comes to shove. And luckily, I say, Fox had the last word. Margaret had her back. Uh, she listened to the creative people on the art side and the writing side that she'd hired. And we all were in agreement about the direction of the show. So whatever major changes were suggested uh, by a couple, three people during that year that we were building the first season before it was successful, uh, were, were, held, were held back. The pushback was pushed back upon and <laughs> we were able to keep the show we wanted. Um, yeah, you were talking about uh, Scott and Jean. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I got that. that we, got the, we got the wedding of Scott and Jean. 
one of, like one of my faves. Push that along. The series might have pushed yeah. that along in the book. And to yeah. the, and to the yeah. credit, when Bob Harris called and said, said, look, it's not like this isn't a good idea. It's just that we're not ready to have them married and bearing children in the books yet. We're, we're thinking about stuff like that. And we envision it coming, you know, in future seasons, but not now. This yeah. is not the right time. So we just we said, cool, we'll pull back. And and that's why we had it be a fake wedding. That's why we put Sinister in retroactively, so that even though they go through with the wedding, it doesn't, it's not real, it's not legal, it's whatever. So they're not married. So we, we had kind of had it both ways. And I don't know if you heard, but Morph. Dear Morph, who was created for the hero's journey, for the, the actual heroic sacrifice. When you got tapped and said, come back and we're going to do another 13, we're going to do a second season. Yeah. Yeah. And Morph, and they said, but we but. Have, have a problem. The kids that watch the show that, that vote on these things, Morph's their favorite character by a landslide. Is there any way, you know, I know we killed him. I know we agreed on this. It's written in blood, but can you bring find a way to bring him back? He's killed off screen. And that's why we had, that's why we built it into Sinister. Almost killed him. It looked like the, Sen the Sentinels killed him. Sinister whisk whisks him off, saves him, resuscitates him, and uses him for nefariously. Okay, well, that was our not intended, but it was our way of handling the problem of bringing somebody back from the dead that we didn't want to bring back from the dead. And given the way that you were able to make the stories turn with Morph and, and what was happening to him, I thought it masterful. He, but the point, Morph was supposed to stay dead. He was not supposed to come back. But then when you were given the marching orders that he had to come back, bringing him in that way with Mr. Sinister, I mean, oh, he breaks my heart Like now. with PTSD and yeah. having, have, working against his former friends. Yeah. That it's, was, yeah, it's yeah. Just, it, it made for some nice story yes. moments for us. Um, um, so kind of, so th it's the early nineties. What is like the animation landscape like back then? Cause I mean, like I, it's gotta be different than what it is now. Like how does, something, <laughs> I mean, I assume, uh, cause I mean, there's like some, there's an anim, a new animated project every like three weeks, it seems. So mm -hmm. what, what was it like kind of, cause like we've had a lot of, uh, actors on and voice actors, like, especially some, uh, we had one recently, um, Lex Lang. He was like he started like his career doing voiceover for Power Rangers because that was like one of the first things that wasn't like a like a Disney or something like that where you could do like this dub. And so that's when he started getting the anime, and then that kind of evolved into other things for him. So he was kind of like on this forefront, and you guys are also in this like forefront of where like you're in like that that early Fox Kids era where like to me that's like saturday morning cartoons like there was like you had your your looney tunes and and your stuff like that and your hanna barbera's that's all out there but like it wasn't anything where it was like you know every saturday morning you're gonna get this like block of like three hours worth of content so you guys are kind of on this like forefront of that um what, what was that like so like can you kind of tell us like what it was like before and then you know as everything started to explode Remember, if you can, that back then there were only three major networks, ABC, NBC, CBS. And that's where you got your Saturday morning block. Depending on where you lived in the country, there would be syndicated channels 
that might have some secondary cartoons. Right. But they the were the Mighty Hercules or something. Oh, you know? oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> but so those were the three places where a company could sell its product. And if they didn't buy your cartoon, it didn't get on the air. Yeah, there was a thing. I, I was on staff at Hanna Barbera for a couple of years before we met on staff at Disney. Mm -hmm. And back in the mid-80s, and this had gone back like to the mid-60s. So for 20 years or so there was just a standard thing where the producers like Hanna-Barbera and Ruby Spears, and it, it became Disney, but it, in 85, Disney wasn't really participating. Not in TV animation. Yeah, not yeah. in TV. But, and then smaller companies would develop stuff or make deals with toy companies or whatever. Yeah, how do you feel like your human be a, a Selling time. Yeah, yeah in, in, in January, February, where everybody would go and do their pitches to the, to the, the, to the three networks. And there'd be these three single presidents of the kids networks. And when I was there in 85, they were all women, but anyway, three different executives and you do a song and dance and you have four or five shows that you developed and they'd either say thumbs up or thumbs down. And by the end of a couple week pitch time, everybody know what the fall season was going to be. And then you'd spend six, seven months producing the Smurfs or, or super friends or whatever it is that you'd sold to CBS, ABC, or NBC, and it was just a closed world. Mm -hmm. I got in in the mid '80s when suddenly people figured out, oh, we could put five episodes a week, and instead of ordering 13 for a season, we could order 65 episodes of, say, Transformers, and just really crank this stuff. And so places you run like them after school time yeah, for kids, yeah, or early in the morning, play in the afternoon. So separate from Saturday morning, mm -hmm. these big 65 episode orders. And so Hanna-Barbera got three or four of those and other people got, uh, producers got three or four of those, those orders. And suddenly there was twice the work for writers. And that's when I got my foot in the door and got a, got a job for the first time, it was January 81. We're challenged with the GoBots, which was a competitor to Transformers <laughs> and a fun, a fun show. But uh, uh, so, so, even then, there were still there were like the three networks, and then the and a fourth group was the syndication person. If you could find people to to pay for your sixty five episodes, you, you might you know make a deal on syndication. Yeah, um, I, I was going to ask about that. Like, what what was you know animation syndication? Yeah, I, well, I mean, same thing with Disney. I mean, Disney what the Disney afternoon was the thing where they said, okay, we're going to do. Uh, 260 episodes, we're going to 65, 65, 65, 65 episodes of these different shows and have an afternoon block of four half hour shows that we will sell to various networks for the after, for afternoons. And that was where Disney suddenly came into being in the mid 80s. The Disney TV animation yeah. edition. Yeah, where they had really had, had done nothing in, in television animation before. So that was that was a new market for us. And that was exciting. Um, the, again, the problem there is that was, that was all, that was all toy driven. Mostly it's like, okay, what can we merchandise? Uh, Transformers. All right. Well, the Transformers the toy company in Japan, here's $10 million, make us a series. And so it was very much driven by product placement and how can we show off the transforming vehicles? best we can for 65 half hours. And that those were basically the people in charge. The thing that Margaret Lesh did that was so revolutionary at Fox was she got there about 1990 
and said, I want to tell story, character-driven stories, not toy-driven stories, not merchandise-driven stories, not, not things that just exploit our, our old library, whatever. I want to grab the kids on Saturday morning and make them want to know, you know, die to know what the next four or five stories are going to be next Saturday and make them character-driven. It was all her doing. And she allowed us to do that. I Before I did X-Men, I did a, a year, a season of Beetlejuice for her. And it was really opening up. She'd taken this, this show that had been a fun little thing on ABC, little uh, two 11 minutes. Won an Emmy, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And nice, very, very nicely designed show, but hadn't been all that ambitious. And she said, look, we have to just differentiate ourselves. We're the new kid on the block. We're only in half the homes of America compared to these huge networks that have been around for 50 years. Mm-hmm. Make uh, make these longer stories, make them more intense, make them stranger and make them more challenging. We want to have an edge in our our storytelling that, that people won't be able to find on ABC, CBS, and NBC. And that was half the reason we were able to make X-Men as challenging a show as it was, because she was telling us to push that rather than suppress that, which is what we've been told (laughs) on most other shows we worked on. Oh, stop, stop, stop. You're way too challenging for the kids. Simplify, dumb down, and listen to the child psychologist. Don't tell those adult stories. And we were getting the reverse from her because Fox wanted to make a splash, and they did. And they were amazing. For six or seven years, they just dominated and I want to give credit to to Batman, the animated series that, that came out at Fox. They were premiered the same year we were supposed to premiere. But as that show is, is as good as it's going to get. But it was on Fox and it was able to push some boundaries that it would not have been able to do. Oh, yeah. On ABC, NBC, CBS at that time. So Margaret was across the board challenging the audiences, offering them things they couldn't find on the other networks. Something like the tick. I mean, they never would have, they never would have done the tick on any of those other networks. It's way too, way too (laughs) funny and way too, way too adult and, and sophisticated. And that just, just shows what that it was Margaret and Cindy. I mean, Mm -hmm. they fell in love with that. I, I had a hand in, in creating the the pilot episode of the tick. So uh, that was, I have a great, even though, even though my name's nowhere on the show and, uh, and other people did 90, 90% of it, I, re- I have a, had a wonderful time. We, we were doing another season of X-Men and Margaret just asked, you know, these are new people doing the tick. Can you do the pilot for them? The pilot or script. Them, yeah. And then you know, they took it over and they made it their own. But the first two or three uh, versions of the pilot script were... Uh, were me adapting the stuff from Ben's wonderful comics. Ben Edlund, who is yeah. just a genius writer. Yeah. But so also at that same time, there was uh, Bobby's World, Life with Louie, with Louie oh, Anderson. Oh, God, Life with Louie. Yeah, geez, what a thing that was. You know, but she was willing to tell those kinds of stories where it's like, this gets a little dark. I mean, it's funny, but it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's great. But she was the one who was pushing those and boundaries. She pr- and she proved it because when yeah. she took over... You know, they were getting maybe four or five percent of the audience on a Saturday morning. Yeah. And by the time X-Men had run its first season, she was getting 50 percent of the audience on Saturday morning against against the other three. Fox kids exploded. Yeah. So uh, it's I mean, she and 
after she left, it, it kind of lost its several it, years later. You yeah. know, it's kind of drifted down and became just another channel. And, and Saturday morning kind of fizzled and wasn't there anymore. Yeah. The the economics of it changed. Uh, all the other channels became available. Cartoon Network and and all the cable channels started taking over this corner of things. And the kids today don't know what Saturday morning means, which is a shame. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember growing up like you did have. Back in the day, it used to be Fox 25. That was Saturday oh. morning. Because, uh, like, ABC would have, like, the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh, like, before Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. And you're like, sure, whatever. Um, but uh, it would it used to be just, like, this is Fox. Like, And I, I want to say, at least in my area, the beginning, it was always like a – was there, like, a Ranger Rick on, like, Fox, Fox Kids? Was that, like, their mascot? Depending on where you were. In the yeah, country. it may have been my area that that was, yeah. it was mm -hmm. the mascot. And so he would be like every, every, the beginning of every morning, he would kick it off and then he'd like, all right, that's it guys. Bye. And then it was just, that would be it. Um, <laughs> but because okay. I remember that. And then I want to say like, and, and it was just Fox kids for like the longest time. And then kids WB came over Warner yeah, started right. bringing in like Pokemon and everything like that. And then you see this switch from kids wb so i'm guessing that's about the same time where she left because then you get like a lot more anime and everything in yeah, yeah. Uh, in fox kids so like you can see where like everything kind of like switches and then it's like kids wb and fox kids are almost the same thing just they have just different shows but they're basically the same entity and don't forget upn yeah. oh yeah i forgot that upn <laughs> That whole time was just crazy. Yeah, but, with, yeah. With, with, with the trying to figure out how TV was going to expand. Right. And stuff like UPN kind of came and went. But, and now, of course. Cable was beginning. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of entering the homes. You had more channels now. Again, there were just the three networks until Fox came in and sort of. And, Shook and, things and, up. Yeah. And then from there, here were, you know, how many channels now? It, 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 hundred, literally hundreds. Now you just have the internet and you're just like, okay. you just watch it whenever you want. Yeah. 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 Um, has is there any project that you guys have not done that you would like to do? Oh. Mm. I don't know. That's like that's I'm, I'm gonna give you guys carte blanche. So you have whatever anything oh. that you guys want to do, what would be a series that you guys would want to do? Okay. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, okay. I probably should have sent this over in an email beforehand. <laughs> so oh. you mentioned tick earlier. And every iteration of Tick that has happened since, you know, the, the animation and then the live action versions and then the most recent live action mm -hmm. version, God, that'd be fun to do some live action Tick. And I, it, it just, it got canceled. It only lasted, I think, one, one season, yeah. the, most, the newest iteration. God, that was a good show. Every iteration I've loved of Tick, that would be fun to do that. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, it's, it's, it's funny. We don't, I don't, often don't think that way you know we're, we're so practical you know we've gotten so used to being you know what's the practical things we could get a, away with doing you know what mm -hmm. are they what are they producing nowadays and and kind of keep your your ambitions there uh back before i was getting paid to write back in college and after college we just my buddies mark and mike leadens now the late mike leadens poor our mike he passed last year mm -hmm. um We'd write huge, ambitious, impossible, what we thought were impossibly ambitious things like an 18 hour mini, you know, live action mini series 
about about the the Trojan War, that that kind of stuff, like massive uh, epic spectacles, and and the myths myths involved. My dad used to read all you know classic Greek and Roman myths when I was a kid, um, and so that kind of stuff has resonance for me. Really uh, older fashioned uh, historical epic kind of stuff, which is so which is weirdly it's it's different from writing for animation, but Truly, I mean, superheroes are heroes, and the X Men a lot of times were tragic heroes. So oh yeah. Oh, there's something. Yeah. There's some very you know Greek struggle uh, in in there that made it you know satisfying to write some of those stories where they didn't come out. You know, they 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 they, they sacrificed to to do what what was right. So uh, just it's just card blanche. You know, here's a couple hundred million dollars. Um, we have a great outline for that. <laughs> you just want to uh, get like Greek gods by Edith Hamilton and just be like, all right, the story this week is this one right here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just, uh, and, and just run with it. I mean, we got to do some of that with young Hercules. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was real, great. one of the reasons that was so much fun for us. Mm-hmm. We had to do 50 episodes in one year, two wow. a week for, for, he- for 25 weeks. Yeah. Just knocking them out. And Ryan Gosling was amazing. I mean, he was he was 17 when he started the show. Filming in New Zealand, we yeah. were here in Los Angeles. Yeah, and so. Oh, we, did you guys yeah. not get to go to set? No. Oh, New Zealand. I mean, we, you know, as when we were done, they said <laughs> when we were done writing, when we were done, it was like the end of the marathon and we collapsed at the, the, the finish mm-hmm. line. They said, well, you know, why don't you fly out to New Zealand and and hang out with the crew because they still have three or four episodes left to shoot, and we thought about, oh, okay, yeah. I've got so I'm so exhausted from knocking out 50 of these in a row, and I think we had something else on you know coming up. So we we said no, and we really regret it. Now they did bring young Ryan and the and the two oh, yeah. co-stars. They brought him here to, to Hollywood, Santa Monica for a for a Xena Hercules convention, and so we got to meet in person, and that was delightful. Yeah. And even then, what you know, Ryan had it. You know, even as a 17 year old, as a scrawny 17 year old, he and he just uh, the nicest kid. And golly, it's it's, it's thrilling to see. Yeah, what's what, what he's, he's done yeah. with his career. But, mm-hmm. but and it was great to write for him. That was a thrill. Yeah. yeah. And then the people that produced it, the, the do the Hercules and Zeta stuff, Sam Raimi and Rod Tappert. I mean, they're the Spider-Man people. They're mm-hmm. the they're the evil dead people The you know, et cetera, et cetera. The dark man people they're they've done so many cool things in this world the detroiters Ooh, i'm gonna put that out there i love horror i think i'm the only one in the family that lo- i don't know why i have yeah, the- no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not there i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm gonna stick away from that i, I, have, so, I have the the heart and soul of a 12 year old boy somewhere inside me you know in, in spite of this but horror i would love to well, there you go There's okay something. there we i'll put it out in the ether See, hey let me write a horror script I, I, or I, let me let me create a horror. Story. I'll write a mythological miniseries, and she'll write a, 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 a the, the grotesque horror movie. Let's write a horror mythological thing. Yeah, I mean, why not? Yep, Medusa. It's some nasty <laughs> stuff that went on in those. Oh bits. my god, they're all killing each other. Or yeah. yeah so. so yeah, there you go. Oh man, um, what have been some of your favorite things to work on? So I mean, and you know, we're talking mummies alive, talking X Men, talking young Hercules. Well, what's been some of your your absolute faves? We met, my very first job writing and getting paid for it was for Disney TV animation for Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. And that's where you and I met. You were in the office next door. 
got to work. And that was those days of Disney TV animation. They had people on staff and they kind of figured out at some point that it's cheaper to just have freelancers. But for those three years, it was golden. There were over 100 people on our, our floor, the writer, writers and artists. It was magic. You know, that you bump into for coffee breaks, go have, go have lunch with. Mm-hmm. And they're all, you know, we were all like thir- in our early 30s. And it was it was like yeah it was it was, it was like a dorm yes. room mm-hmm. and, and, and great fun and we actually had you know paychecks you know this, <laughs> it was it, most of us were on for three years yeah. for like for they had to renew at the end of each year but we're on three year contracts yeah. and for the rest of our careers it's just been it's been piecework yeah like okay you've written that script now where's the next dollar coming from how are you going to pay rent next month it, that was. It was the this great setup. There's a great social thing. And we have friends. I mean, I started in, she started in 88. I started mm-hmm. in late 87. We still have friends from then. Oh, at Disney. Yeah. 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 The, 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 that we worked with friends. the best friends yeah. from there. And so writing on those shows, she wrote 14 Rescue Rangers, more than anybody. Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. Out of the 65. And my favorite show there by far writing for, which I didn't, get onto till late and yeah. I would have liked to do more was was you mentioned Winnie the Pooh. But the Disney odd, Pooh. oh my God. It was an odd talk about an odd contrast to X-Men. Uh how do you create dramatic conflict among Pooh, Tigger, and Owl? I mean it was a weird challenge. But the character but the animation was wonderful. Oh. The voice people they had were spectacular. Yeah. So it was it was this incredibly professional, if preschool world, that was just a complete contrast to the other kind of writing I've been trying to do. And the, it happened that the people in our writing office, there, especially Carter Crocker, were just were like among the very best people at Disney. Yes, were just just continue to be wonderful to work for. So that was a that an oddly great you know experience. Yeah. But, but- yeah, that was the fun of it too. That I mean, that was the joy I got to write too. And it, it's like that was that was the 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 gold standard in terms of a a, a an arena in which to, to tell stories. And and it, it was an honor to write for Winnie the Pooh. And and it was a delight to yeah. write for Winnie um, the Pooh. Beetlejuice was fun. Ah, they yeah. just wanted us to get strange and <laughs> and 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 push the action. So. Uh, that was so. That was that was a night. That was a, a year. It was like a season of twenty that I was the supervising writer for. But uh, other other folks had established it, won the Emmy for it. They'd gone for for two or three years, and as we were doing the final year of it, they looked around and said, "We're getting worn out. So somebody else can take over supervising this darn thing." So that was that was a real breakthrough for me because I just I wrote one script for them. They liked That's it. Right. And they talked to the Sydney and Margaret at Fox and said, you know, can we hand this off? Are you comfortable with handing it off to Eric? And they said, yeah. And because that had gone well, I think that's why I was chosen to do X-Men. I think if I hadn't done a year of Beetlejuice, I never would have been considered for X-Men. Man, that's crazy. I, I do have one question. Talk about Winnie the Pooh or the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Um I, I now want to know if you remember one of the episodes. I don't oh. know if you wrote it or not. It's going to be a weird one. Um, it's the one where Rabbit gets the little, adopts the little bird. Okay. 
No, I wasn't. That wasn't that wasn't me. Was it strange? (laughs) No, it was not. It was. It's. It's. I think it's the most emotional episode of the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Oh, I believe it. And it has to let it go. I mean, that's kind of. Oh I think little like five year old me was just bawling. Like like I don't remember anything else about that show. I remember I think Gopher was there and there was a train at one point, I think. Um and then like the rabbit and and little bird episode. It was a little blue bird, and I was like, oh. And then I the the theme song. I still know the theme song, but that's like that's like all I remember. And I'm just like, oh man. That rabbit and that little bird, like here we are, a few years later, and that's the memory you have. It, it, it touched you that deeply, and I love that. Yeah. I love that. Thirty some years later. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, well, uh, this was this was really fun. All right, so we do have X Men ninety seven coming up, and Harold did kind of talk about it on his episode. Um, what is your involvement in X Men ninety seven? Okay. Okay. She, she has a written statement. I have a written statement. <laughs> You're a good sport, Josh. Okay. My written statement. On November 12, 2021, Disney Plus announced the production of X-Men 97 together with Larry Houston, original producer director of the series. We have been all brought on board as consulting producers. Beyond that, we have no comment. <laughs> So, so, but, but we are on board as consulting producers yeah. and thrilled about that because yeah. that doesn't happen it, often. It really doesn't happen very often out, out here. And to to uh, to to quote, I mean, this is out there, so we can requote it. Uh, the guy, the showrunner of the current sh- uh, show, yesterday was online just saying, "It's not a reboot; it's a continuation." Oh, see, that's nice. That, see, that's what I thought. That, it was gonna, I thought it was going to be a reboot. And and it's not it's it's, it's, it's X Men ninety seven because it's picking up where where ours left oh, off. Awesome. It's ninety seven, <laughs> and it's assuming it's assuming that this world is the same world, and that that the references to the the previous episodes, uh, you know, it's the same group of characters. Uh, obviously, they'll take they will then take it in their own direction, and it's just it's a massive group of of people that love. That love the X-Men and specifically loved our show. Uh, it's a huge group of, of, of folks that very talented young people. Young yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> we were in our 30s when we did the show. It's 30 years later. They're in their 30s. This is, you know, we're we're there. They were nice enough to want to say consult with us and show us what they're doing. And it was, it was wonderful meeting them online. Yeah. Um uh, but you know, just you know, I it's it's their baby, and we're and we're on board to help. Yes, and we're proud to be a part of it, and so excited that there's this kind of enthusiasm for a project we worked on so many years ago. That really, uh, we we did not know had had the kind of impact it had, uh, yeah. and until like in the last five years, we we just didn't know. Yeah, and 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 that's we started going to cons with the two books that we've written about the show. Uh, and then just realized, just we started doing the math. Just a huge number of people oh, that watched the show, and the large percentage of them that was, you know, their show. That was mm-hmm. their favorite. That was the one that meant the most to them. That yeah. affected them the most. That stayed with them the most. 
And that fan after fan coming to us say, well, here's my kids and we're watching it together now. And I rewatching, you know, the show that meant the most to me when I was young. Or I watched it with my dad now I'm watching it with my kids. Yeah, yeah. And so and just doing the numbers and realizing that every Saturday morning, maybe 15 million people watched it in the US and Canada. But then Fox was great about getting this all over the world. So everybody was, it was literally in the hundreds of millions of people Mm -hmm. that got to know the show because uh, nowadays there's so many shows. It's some, instead of being, you know, instead of there being maybe 20 shows on Saturday morning that you might get interested in, now there's 20,000 that that you can find. And, And so I don't know if there ever will be a show that that many. I mean, it's like when I was a kid and the first Star Trek was going, and you you talk to all your friends uh, in this in, in the sixties, saying, "Oh my God, did you see what happened last week on on Star Trek?" And it just became part of the culture, and 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 lasted. That kind of thing. You know, we've each worked on over forty different series, mm-hmm. and this is the one thing that was just all magic. All the magic came together. And we don't know why, you know, uh, wonderfully talented people working on all sorts of other shows we worked on. We did our best. We worked as hard as we could on every show, but the magic came together on this, the stories, the time in the early nineties, Fox kids, the characters, it just, it just somehow worked in a way that we can't, you know, and has stuck in a way that we can't say anything else we've worked on has quite. I think too that part of the the the, the magic of it is it, it's it's a team, and on any given episode you can you can pick your favorite X Men, but you can also that oh I I'm so you know I'm I'm that one I'm this one I'm that one. Uh, half of them were girls, and it wasn't an issue. It wasn't called out like oh you better not fly because you don't want to you know make the boys feel bad. No, everybody on this team had incredible power. And they were always encouraged to use that power, but they each of them had their own true demons. The rogue is to me just heartbreaking. Oh my God. All mm-hmm. the, and I've said this before, if she and Wolverine could swap powers, they'd be perfectly happy because he would go off and live in the woods and never another, touch another human being. And he'd be fine with that. She would keep her claws in check and she'd be able to touch people. But the thing that made them each so amazing at what they did was also the thing that caused them their greatest heartache and i think that's a pretty remarkable thing to uh to work with as far as storytelling for a, a kid's and, cartoon yeah and, i mean there's the, spe- the spectacle which oh, was yeah. wonderful but it was just this dysfunctional family <laughs> that 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 would put it all on the line for each other mm-hmm. heroically sacrifice for each other no matter how much they were pissing each other off and annoying each other they you know, there was this this bond among them, and that just yes, it, it made it wonderful to write for. Oh man, that sounds awesome. Um, we are going to uh, be doing a special giveaway. Um, so we're actually going to be giving away one of your uh, books, like the the art one. Um, yes. so yeah, that one right there. If you're watching, uh, we're going to be giving one of those away. Um, 
all you have to do is um, you're going to follow both of us on Instagram. We'll put all of the um, in our on our social media. You'll see the giveaway post. You'll see everything that you need to do. Um, so you'll just follow everybody there. And then you're going to type in uh, for an extra bonus entry. What is your favorite episode of X-Men, the animated series and why? Um, and where you have until the end of April to uh, get those in, and then we will announce the giveaway winner. Um, but Eric and Julie, thank you both so much for coming on. This was this was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you so much for having us. We really enjoyed this. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Um, if, if people want to follow you uh, social media-wise, how do they do that? Please, X-Men TAS or X-Men The Animated Series. Uh, we're, uh, I'm on Twitter every day. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We have a, a .com website. Uh, if you want to find out more about the two of us and what we've done with X-Men and those kind of things, please, X-Men TAS. Excellent. And we'll put um, everything in the show notes. If you want to follow them, all you have to do is go in there, click on it, follow them that way. Um, anything upcoming that you guys are allowed to talk about? No, but... We're going to be at a con in Nebraska. Yes, we're, we're <laughs> going to be at the Grand Island Con at the end of March in Nebraska. That'll be our first one in since, 2022. Since, since, yeah, since, yes, it'll be our second con in the last two years. So We really hope to get out there again. You know, we've all got to do this carefully. but so it, We're not that far from you, but I know that'll be a bit of a drive. It'll be a bit of a drive. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and who who knows? Maybe next uh, LA Comic Con because I think they're they did the special one in December, but I think they're going back to regular stuff. Is that going to be what was that? August, I think July, well, August. Because oh, because big old San Diego Comic Con is scheduled for July. Oh yeah, uh, but and we we yeah. don't know if, we don't know where else we may be participating this year, but but. Uh, Nebraska coming up end of March. So yeah. And hopefully again, as the world opens up, it means so much to us to get to go meet people. It's just, it's tremendous fun for us. So here's hoping we can do more uh, of that. Grand Rapids, Michigan in November. Yes, we'll be. Oh, that's right. We'll be there for that. Yes. Uh-huh. I've never been to Michigan. Michigan sounds fun. Maybe I can get Harold and we can come visit you in there Michigan. There you go. That would be fun. Road um, trip. You, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Josh L. Kane. Find the podcast on Instagram at What's Up Fandom on Twitter at What's Up Fandom PC for podcasts. All of our episodes available, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, Audible, Spotify, uh, YouTube. You can check out our video content and on our website, animationstationpodcast.com. Uh, thanks to one out of 10 for the intro for this episode. We do have a special, uh, a special outro song, um, friend of the podcast, uh, Chris Allen Hayes actually did a cover for Mummies Alive. So you can listen to that right here. Definitely check him out on uh, Instagram. He's All of his stuff is on Spotify. He does covers for all kinds of fav like your favorite stuff. So definitely check him out. Uh, and thank you both so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Directing by the crystal bay, protectors of the world's who